Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. All right, a few key events happened in the fourth year of Jehoiakim. Number one, Jeremiah 25, 1, the first year of Nebuchadnezzar happened. Cold? Are you cold or are you just being odd? <laughs> or both? <laughs> All right. Jeremiah 36, verses 1 through 2. Jehoiakim destroys God's word with a penknife and fire. Jeremiah 45, verses 1 through 5. The Lord prophesies unto Barak. Jeremiah 46, verses 1 through 2. The Lord prophesies concerning the Gentiles. All that happened in the fourth year of Jehoiakim. Sorry. Oh. I just separate you two. All right. The lack of ease... The, the lack of ease in mansions and prestige. So everybody thinks in the mansions is ease, comfort, and prestige. Well, not necessarily. Um, we are tempted to envy men with great gain, power, and fame. But we have no idea what their lives are like in the night watches of their glamour. Fame and fortune cannot and will not ease and trouble the mind. The Lord is needed for that. I could compile a long list of great, talented, rich, and famous men and women who killed themselves in their own mansions. So it might look beautiful, but you don't know what's going on behind those closed doors. In fact, in recent years, we're learning that behind a lot of those closed doors, some pretty twisted, perverted things are happening. And a lot of celebrities who have all this money, they have all the fame, they have all the power, they have everything they want, everything everybody could dream of. And then they hang themselves in their own mansion because they're miserable. It doesn't satisfy. You better find something that satisfies. I, I could not trade my life with my wife and my children for a life of fame, fortune, and money. I have a wonderful life. God has blessed me. I have a wonderful wife. I have two wonderful children. Though Adrian gets on my nerves sometimes. 
but it's not that they are not worth trading for for all those pieces of paper that you think are going to make you so happy and the fame that you think is going to make you so happy and the fortune and the big houses and the nice cars those people have everything you can imagine and they are miserable so some of them literally had everything but they did not have the peace of God which surpasseth all understanding and that can't be traded I hope you I hope you don't underestimate the value of that all right the threat of a dunghill <laughs> was apparently common amongst the Babylonians and the Persians. Daniel 2.5. Uh, let's go back to, let me go back to Daniel. I'm somewhere else. I was answering a question in the break. Daniel 2, verse 5. Uh, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If you will not make known unto me the dream and the interpretation thereof, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made a dunghill. Again, I, I don't understand the dunghill part, but uh, Daniel 3, verse 29. Daniel 3, verse 29. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Shadrach Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill. <laughs> I mean, I, look, it sounds like, I mean, if you, if you had a husband that upset Nebuchadnezzar and he cut your husband in pieces, then you're going to come home and find your house has <laughs> been made a dunghill. So be careful who you marry. Now look at Ezra chapter six. Let's, let's bring the Persians in here. This is Darius. Ezra, uh, Ezra 6, verse 11. Also, I have made a decree that whosoever shall alter this word, let timber be pulled down from his house, and being set up, let him be hanged thereon, and let his house be made a dunghill for this. <laughs> so, it must be. Uh, I mean, it had to be something that I mean, maybe if your house was made a dunghill, then maybe they thought it was cursed or what's that? <laughs> All right. In um, Genesis 48, turn to Gen- or Genesis 41, turn to Genesis 41 real fast. Genesis 41, and let's read verses 8 through 12. Verse 8, And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt. Does that sound familiar? Sound very familiar. He sent and called for all the Egyptians, magicians of Egypt, <clears throat> and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream. But there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put, put me in ward and the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief banker, baker, 
Baker. Baker. And we dreamed a dream in one night. I and he, we dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was there with us a young man in Hebrew, servant to the captain of the guard. And we told him and he interpreted to us our dreams to which to each man, each, according to his dream, he did interpret and it came to pass. All right. So in like manner as Nebuchadnezzar, a, a Hebrew who knew the true and living God was required to interpret the dream for both kings the anxiety these dreams caused their sleep to break. They were greatly stressed by the dreams. This picture, this, uh, this picture is the void in people's lives who live without the true God. These kings not only had everything, they also had all the wise men and magicians available to them that anyone could want. And yet they had no answers until someone who knew God came along. I once witnessed to a lady, I'll tell you this story real fast. I might have told you this before, but I witnessed to a lady in uh, Dubai one time. And um, uh, she, again, she had everything. She, she was a, a beautiful young lady. She had money. Her family had a lot of money. She was um, uh, like a, some kind of model or something. So she had fame. Everybody knew who she was. Everywhere she went, everybody knew her. And um, her and I were friends from way back in the day. And, and then I had gotten saved. I went to Afghanistan. On my way home from Afghanistan, I stopped in Dubai and saw some of my old friends from when I, I used to go to Dubai and, and train in martial arts and, and, and spend time there. And so she was one of them. And she was asking me, what happened? That's what everybody wanted to know after I got saved. Like, what happened? What do you mean? Like, nothing happened. I just trusted in Jesus. Like, I, they're like, well, the, I mean, did the earth explode or did you almost die? I mean, what made you almost, you know, trust in Jesus? Like, that's the only time you trust in Jesus. And I was like, no, not, none of that happened. I just, I, I came to understand that I was on my way to hell and Jesus was the savior. And, um, and so as I'm talking to her and she's telling me, um, I'm, I'm, she says she's miserable. Say, so I'm so empty inside. And I said, well, what do you think is causing that? She's like, I don't know. I, I keep chasing pleasure. I, keep, I, have, I buy this. I buy that. I go shopping. I go here. I go there. And I was like, she's like, just, I'm just miserable. And I said, well, the only, the only way you're going you're gonna to be satisfied. I'm not going to tell you you're going to be happy. The only way you're going to be satisfied is if you know Jesus Christ. She's like, well, I just I don't believe that. And I said, well, what you're doing is not working. <laughs> so why don't you try something else? And she said, well, I, I believe happiness comes from within. I said, you just told me you're empty inside. So where's it going to come from? You can't have it both ways. You can't tell me I feel empty inside. And also, I believe happiness comes from within. There's nothing in there. You're empty. You just said that. You're miserable. So you need something external. You need Jesus Christ. And, and that's not going to, I, I think you probably have a, a warped view of happiness. Most people do. They don't really understand what happiness is. They think they're just supposed to be happy and feel great and everything perfect all the time. And that's never going to happen. But you can have peace, joy, love, long suffering. You, you can understand faithfulness. You can, you, you can really get to know people. It's, life with Jesus Christ is unbelievably different from anything you could ever possibly have. Especially sitting there telling me that you're empty. But somehow happiness is going to come spewing out of that emptiness. That's like saying the world came from nothing. <laughs> it makes no sense whatsoever. So um, 
Don't be jealous of people who have more than you. You might be far happier than them. You, 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 you have to learn, like Paul, when you have everything, be content. When you have nothing, be content. You have Jesus Christ. You will never touch hell. You're going to spend eternity with the inheritance of Jesus Christ. That's given to you. For what? <laughs> because you trusted in Jesus. For no other reason. That's what we're looking forward to. We're not looking forward to God making us a fluffy little bed to lay on and get fat until we die. That's not what happens here. (laughs) We live in a present evil world. If God made that bed and you laid on it and got fat, the building would cave in and you'd you'd be hurt. (laughs) So uh, that you can't put your hope in the things of this world. You got to you got to trust in the Lord. Where was it? Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were guilty by association. They were counted amongst this group who were to be slain if one or all could not provide the king with his dream and explanation. Because the king didn't know the dream, and so he's asking them to provide it. They can't provide the dream. They were all counted as one unit, and they would either die together or live together. Look at verses 14 through 16. Then Daniel answered with, with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree so hasty from the king that Arioch made the thing known to Daniel? Verse 16. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he should give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. All right. Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom. Oh, that is very important. Those are some powerful words in the Word of God. Those are some very important words in the Word of God. This is too often an area of failure in my own life. I answer certain situations far too aggressively, and sometimes it accomplishes what I want but only because there was an element of intimidation, not because God blessed the situation. So if you overpower the people that you're talking to, you might get your way. You outwit them, you might get your way. Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom, and it caused the king to say, okay, it's more important to me to know this dream and its interpretation than it is for me to kill you and make your house a dunghill. (laughs) And so he was willing to give Daniel time. Plus, we already learned from Daniel chapter one that Daniel's been given favor with these people and, and, and they, are, they are willing to give Daniel a chance. Now, this is amazing. If Daniel's two years into his training and hasn't even graduated yet and hasn't really become one of, the, one of these, not fully one of these, these men yet to, to give counsel to the king and they're willing to give him this opportunity. That's it, quite extraordinary. Um, Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom. That is, he was direct, but respectful and tactful. He did not barge into the king's office and demand things be done differently. Because of his reliance upon God, he could respectfully ask, just give me some time to seek the mind of God, and then I will come answer you in this matter. Now, again, Daniel had no idea whether God would show him or not. He knew knew God could. So he said, would you just give me some time? 
let me confer with the Lord and see if he will give me the answer. If he will, I'll come back and give it to you. If not, I'll wait for you at my house. <laughs> but could you cut me in pieces before you make it a dunghill, please? And so um, they gave him the time and it worked. And the king was more interested in remembering and understanding this dream than he was in killing the magicians and wise men. Um, it is also important to note, I mean, the other miraculous thing about this and the other reason that, that makes it clear that Nebuchadnezzar didn't remember the dream. Um, I mean, you look at what he was going to do to them. He, he wasn't, he didn't need to manipulate them. Like, I, don't, I really know it, but I'm not telling you. No, he said, like, I don't know it and you better. You claim you can do this. Tell me the dream and the interpretation. And if you don't, then I'm, then I'm going to deal with you. And Daniel just comes walking in. Would you just give me time? Just give me time, and we'll, I'll do what I can to, to get you an answer. It is also important to note that tact and respect do not equal weakness. In fact, it appears that it demonstrates a greater reliance on God. <laughs> That's the hard part. That's, that's a little detail in life that if you can get a hold of, it will make you a far better Christian. And, and the, the men I know who have this under control, they are great men. The women I know who have this under control, they're wonderful women. They're, they're not concerned necessarily about getting their way. They're concerned about what's right before God. And, and the two are not the same thing. So getting your way and forcing your way into something and getting what you want may not be necessarily God's will. And so the key is to take a step back and rather than saying, I have rights. You give me what I want. You give me what I deserve, which is a very, very Western mentality that that is dying quickly because those rights are diminishing. Um, You don't walk into Nebuchadnezzar and say, I have rights. (laughs) Your head will be taken off before you leave the room. And so if you you can get this connection, instead of saying, I've been done wrong, I'm retaliating. I I want it fixed. I don't deserve this. You take a step back and you try to find out how can God be honored and glorified through all this? What do I do? How do I I move forward with counsel and, and with wisdom? And it makes all the difference. Uh, This is the second time that Daniel answered a terrible situation carefully and respectfully. And the Lord blessed his efforts. Daniel took took his situation, compared it to his biblical responsibilities, and then tried to work with the Gentile powers to to find a resolution that pleased God. Now imagine that. A Hebrew captive is working with the greatest Gentile power in the world to figure out a way to honor God. That's the the big picture of what's happening. Now, it doesn't look like that when Daniel gets the word, oh, you're going to die tomorrow. "Uh, What? I was just eating some lentils. (laughs) And and you come and you tell me I'm going to die tomorrow? (laughs) What's happening? And and then this process begins where Daniel answers with wisdom and, and the Lord blesses it. Therefore, he worked with Melzar and Ashpenaz to find a resolution. But notice the resolution still required God's blessing, and God did bless. In chapter 2, his life is on the line, 
And instead of running, fighting, or arguing, he simply asked for time. And what did he do with that time? He prayed. I, I don't know that that's what I would have been doing. I don't know where, where's the first bus <laughs> to, to the next kingdom? <laughs> and then I'll call Nebuchadnezzar from there and tell him what I found out. Uh, but I'm not staying here. <laughs> and so um, it, it's incredible. His resolve. And that's the thing. Sometimes from, from, from the independent Baptist background, we confuse boldness with godliness. And, and we think that being, being bold means you have to be a jerk. You have to demand things. You have to get in people's face. You have to do this. You have to do that. And you've got to be really brash. That was not Daniel. Now, again, the opposite end of that is John the Baptist, the greatest man born among, among women, who was exactly what I'm describing, was very brash, very bold, very in your face. He died. Now, he died for what? For the truth. He stood up. He did what was right. That's fine. Daniel did it as well, but Daniel did it with counsel and with wisdom. And, and it gets him the time that he needs. <laughs> and he goes and prays. Most Christians barely pray over their lunch, much less in a situation like this. So as a result, the Lord heard his prayer and intervened. This would be a pattern in Daniel's life that we should adopt and follow. All right, now proper responses to difficult situations. Look at Psalm 37. Let's look at these real fast. Maybe YB can tell us the, the chronological context of Psalm 37. <laughs> All right, Psalm 37, and let's read verse 8. We'll go through several of these real quick. Cease from anger. And forsake wrath. Hmm. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Now, I, I don't fret to do evil, but man, I often have to cease from anger. <laughs> I, I am too easily aggravated. And, and it's not a biblical response to things. Now, the Bible says, be angry and sin not. All right, so it, it's not wrong to be angry, but it is wrong when that anger is constantly showing up and causing damage. Right? You're right sometimes, many times, to be angry. Things happen that you should be angry about. But you don't get to take that anger into wrath. Once you cross from anger to wrath, you've crossed the line, and now you've ventured into sin. There's a big difference. You don't act on that anger. You don't live out that anger. You don't harness that anger. You've got to deal with it. And deal with it in a godly manner, preferably with counsel and with wisdom. Uh, look at Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15, verse 1. Ha <laughs> ha. I'll tell you, if I could make a list of things that God could remove from the Bible, I just don't think it's going to happen, though. <laughs> A soft answer turneth away wrath, but, but grievous words stir up anger. That's not how we respond to things. That's definitely not how I respond to things. You know, I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. We're from, I'm from the streets. 
It's very violent where I'm from. It's very dangerous where I'm from. Uh, by the time I was 14 years old, I had been stabbed coming home from school, and we had multiple gunfights in my house. Not in the neighborhood, not outside, in the house that I lived in. My stepdad's clothes, <laughs> he had this closet at the end. All right, so if you came in our house, you come in through the kitchen, and then you come through the kitchen into what is the city, the dining room where we sit and eat, and where the dining room and the living room, they're kind of, it's kind of one large room. And there's a closet here, and the closet kind of sticks out from the wall. Well, down from that wall is a hallway that goes to all the bedrooms. And my stepdad's bedroom is in the very back of the house. Well, one night this man broke into the house, and he had a gun. And he's at one end of the hallway. My stepdad's at the other end of the hallway. My stepdad also had a gun. I, I, I know, you're looking at me like, this is American stuff. This, is not, this really happens in our, in our country. <laughs> you don't break into an American house. Just that, you know, not, not that you were interested in doing that. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just telling you, it's, it, it's dangerous. And so this man is got a shotgun firing it down the hallway, and my stepdad is down on his knees, peeking around the corner and firing back at the man. Well, eventually the man got scared and left. He didn't have enough heart to finish the, the job. But when my f- stepdad fired his gun back in that direction, he hit the closet, which hit all his clothes. <laughs> so all his clothes on the left shoulder had a bullet hole through all the clothes that were hanging <laughs> on the rack. <laughs> so, um, anyways, I, I don't know why that came into this, <laughs> this lesson, but, uh, oh yeah, soft answer. I, I don't know that a soft answer would have worked that night. Uh, that, night you need, <laughs> that night, you needed a gun. <laughs> I don't know why I told that story in context of this, but um, I, our... <laughs> My natural response, oh, because of where I grew up, that's what it was. Um, I naturally respond aggressively. I have an aggressive personality, and it's something that I have to work hard to keep under control. And it doesn't pop into into my mind when someone deliberately disrespects me or my family that a soft answer turneth away wrath. That's not what I'm thinking when that happens. I'm thinking you're about to pay for this <laughs> physically. <laughs> and that's not, that's not a Christ-like attitude. Right? Now, there, there is a time to defend yourself. You don't let someone put their hands on you. You don't let someone put their hands on your wife. You don't let someone put their hands on your children. You, you are responsible to be a strong man and defend your home. But we're talking about daily interaction when someone does something dumb or disrespectful According to the Bible, the best way to respond is softly. And that will, put the, that, that will diffuse the situation. Responding harshly, according to the Bible, using grievous words, it's just going to stir up that anger. And then that anger is going to go from anger to wrath, and you're going to have a big mess on your hands simply because you didn't have enough humility. You had too much pride to just say, no problem, sorry, and just walk away. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, verse 31. Let all, all, all. 
You know, that little three-letter word is very important in the Bible. How much of, how much of your bitterness? All. How much of your wrath? How much of your anger and clamor and evil speaking? All. Every bit of it be put away from you with all malice. Now, that's not except for this one situation where, uh, <laughs> no, all of it. All right, now somebody breaks in your home and they're trying to harm your family, defend your home. That's not an anger, that's not an anger situation where two prideful people are, are bickering and arguing. Right? That's different. Someone has entered your home in the middle of the night. You don't know what they're going to do to you or your family. Put a stop to it immediately. There's not, let me give you a soft answer. Let's talk about this. No, that's, that's not what's happening here. Uh, there's a big difference. First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, verse 23. Who, when he was reviled, <laughs> reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. That's it. That's what Daniel did. King, give me some time. I'm going to go commit myself to him that judgeth righteously. I just need you to give me some time to figure this out. And, and that's, that's what we're expected to do. But that's, that's the key. That's, that's the difference the difference is, are you, trying, are you trying to get an outcome of judgment here that would please God? Or are you trying to get an out to, outcome of judgment here that will please you? Because the two may not be the same. We assume that because I'm a Christian, that the outcome I desire is probably the right one. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe not. And so, and so you just, you, that's the way God wants us to handle those things. Daniel's request was simple. Just give me time, and then I will show the interpretation. He has nothing to lose and much to gain. If the Lord does not respond, then he dies and goes to paradise. <laughs> if the Lord does respond, then you receive one of the most important prophecies in all of the Bible. And the Lord did respond. Praise God. All right, back to Daniel. Let's keep moving along here. Verses 17 through 18. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. I wonder why God called it a secret. Because nobody knew the dream. Or the interpretation. So Daniel, again, this is amazing to me. Daniel's about, they're, they're all, all four of them are about to die. They're going to be cut in pieces. Like, you understand that? <laughs> right? They're not going to be taken out and shot. They're not going to put an electric chair. They're not getting a lethal injection that lets them die in their sleep. They're going to be cut in pieces. And then their house made a dunghill. <laughs> That's the... Uh, that's the uh, height of it all, I guess. 
and they get together and go pray. Do you pray? Do you pray daily? If, if God could do this through prayer, what would he do in our lives through prayer if we applied ourselves to it? And when, when something comes up, you've got to make a decision. Something terrible has happened. What do you do? You start jumping in the mix of things and trying to figure it out and fix it on your own and do it your way and, and scramble to find some ungodly solution? Or do you just stop, go back to your house, get on your knees, say, I'm just going to pray about this and see if the Lord will help me figure it out? Now, you know, my, my prayer life hasn't been as consistent as I would like, but since I began studying the book of Daniel months ago, uh, I now pray three times a day like Daniel. And it has been tremendously beneficial. And I recommend you adopt the same in some way, form, or fashion. I don't open my window and, <laughs> and let the world see that I'm praying and, and all that. And I don't think Daniel was doing it to, to be for showmanship at all. Um, that doesn't fit with Daniel's character as you read through the book. Um, but I, three times a day now, it's on my list of things to do, morning, midday, and evening. Not only do I pray with my family, we have family devotions together, we pray together, but I go and I pray by myself on my face, on the floor. And so I don't tell you that to get personal acclamation. I get nothing out of that. I think it's something that everyone should consider adopting and putting into their own lives. And the next time something comes up, some major event, some terrible thing, some good thing, whatever it is, before you go running into it, stop. Go get along with God and pray about it. Then move forward. I am notorious for men. Men are notorious. You start telling a man a problem, and in his mind, he's resolving that problem as you're talking. <laughs> right? So it's just the way that men are wired, especially when women are talking to you, and women are not looking for a solution to the problem. They just want to talk about it. Well, men think when you talk to us, you want a solution. So why else would you be telling me this? Because men don't just go to men and say, Quinto, can I tell you my problems? And just, oh, woe is me. No, we don't do that. Quinto has his own problems. I have my own problems. We're not going to go sit around and talk about each other's problems. That's a, that's a ladylike thing to do. We don't, we don't understand that. When you start talking about the problem, we're like, A, I would do this. B, I would do this. C, I would do this. All right, so... That's the way we think about, pro- or at least if you're a man, it's the way you should be thinking about a problem. But stop. Let's go pray about it. And then let's see what God will do to help us. That, that's what needs to happen. This was a dire situation. And without, without God's help, they were certain to perish in a violent death. The four of them go together and pray to God. This is what we should be doing When we have troubles, serious or trivial, go to God in prayer. By the way, it is not a bad idea to engage your friends who pray. What what, what would our churches look like if 
We went and told our friends our problems and they went with us to pray rather than we tell our friends our problems and then they go tell their friends our problems and then they go tell their friends our problems. And, and so it, it starts just spreading around like wildfire fire, and that's not what, what we intended. But if we had friends we could trust and I can say, will you pray with me about this? I've, I've got something on my mind. Uh, you don't even have to tell them about it or you, you can do what Daniel did. Daniel said, hey, we're, we're all about to die. We need to go seek God. The king wants to know this dream. He wants the interpretation of this dream. He doesn't just want to know the dream. He wants the dream, and he demands to know what does it mean. It's not enough to him to just... Pharaoh knew his dream. Pharaoh understood his dream. He didn't know the interpretation of his dream. But he woke up, and he knew the dream. Nebuchadnezzar said, it's gone from me. I want the dream, and I want the interpretation, or I'm killing all of you. What's that? <laughs> yeah, it bothered him. Something, something about it disturbed him. And it's not the last dream that's going to disturb him. Apparently, God spoke to Nebuchadnezzar multiple times in this regard with a dream. All right. Um, you need friends who will pray, pray with you and for you. Let me see what we've got here. Yeah, this is the praise section. Let's cover this real fast, and then we'll start next week with the interpretation. Back to Daniel 2, verses 19 through 23. Verse 19. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings and giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what what is in the darkness and and, and in the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might and has made known unto me now what, what we desired of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. All right, Daniel says, God made it known unto me. What no one else knew, what no one else could do. And it wasn't Daniel that did it. Daniel's very clear. It was God. It wasn't Daniel that, that, that had some special ability or some special. Uh, there, was, there was the only thing that was special about Daniel. Is that, he, is that he refused to defile himself. That's it. Aside from that, he had the blessing of God on him, and God, God helped him because he was willing, because he refused to defile himself. The vision is revealed to Daniel by the Lord. Now, again, get this. And instead of rushing to the king, what does Daniel do? Now, again, if it was me, <laughs> and, and I'm on the bus out of town, <laughs> and God reveals it to me, whoa, stop the bus. <laughs> I got to go tell the king. You know, just the first thing that pops in our mind is, I, I got the answer. I got to go. Daniel stops. The same God that I pray to, the same God who gave me the answer, the same God who has blessed me. Let me just take a moment and praise him and thank him. And lift him up. I, I'm about, I, I mean, I don't know when Nebuchadnezzar is going to say, okay, time's up. <laughs> you got an answer? Nope, everybody's dying. 
Start the assembly line. <laughs> Daniel stops, takes the time, and he praises God for giving him the answer. I hope you get the significance of that, the importance of that. And again, I hope it's something you'll adopt in your own life. When you ask, for God, when you ask God for something and he gives it to you, go get alone somewhere and just, just thank him. Tell him how good it is to you. Tell him how much you appreciate it. Tell, tell him how thankful you are. Don't just receive God's goodness and say, thank you. See you next time I need something. That's, that's, not, the way, that's not the way to have any type of relationship. You can't have a marriage like that. You can't have a friendship like that. You can't have employment like that. You can't have a relationship with God like that. The more appreciative you are of the people in your life and the things that they add to your life, the better your life to be will be. The more rich your relationships will be, even if it's not reciprocated. Now, with God, it will be. You can count on that. This is a demonstration of the sweet reliance that Daniel had toward God. Through the entire process, Daniel was looking to God for help, for mercy, and the Lord responded. But Daniel was so sensitive to this reality that he immediately stopped and blessed the Lord who answered his prayer. You had to know there was some sense of urgency. I need to get this to the king before he starts cutting people in pieces. That's what would be on my mind. You know, again, after reading Daniel, to my shame, that's what would be on my mind. Now, there's, there's not, it's not that there's negative intent in that. I don't want people to die. That's a good thing. But God just did something miraculous for you. God just did something wonderful for you. Take, take five minutes. Lord, thank you. I sure appreciate you doing this in my life. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for helping those of us who are in dire trouble. Uh, we, we surely appreciate it. Um, but not until I thank my God for, the bless, for blessing me so. His dependence upon God did not disappear once he had the vision. He stopped and thanked his God. Now, seven points of praise in Daniel's prayer. Number one, wisdom and might are his. Number two, he changeth the times and the seasons. Number three, he removeth kings and setteth up kings. Number four, he giveth wisdom unto the wise. Number five, he giveth knowledge to them that know understanding. Number six, he revealeth the deep and secret things. Number seven, he knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. That's a pretty good description of God. Um, the giveth wisdom, knowledge, and understanding part is, is something I pray for often and hope someday the Lord will answer. <laughs> All right, revealed is used five times in this chapter. Look at chapter 2, verse 19. Then was the secret, the secret that nobody knew, revealed unto Daniel in a night vision then Daniel blessed the God of heaven, verse 22. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, verse 28. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets, 
and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Verse 30. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have. And that's Daniel just giving God all the honor and all the glory for what the Lord has shown him. Daniel received the vision, but he was careful to thank the Lord on behalf uh, of the men who prayed with him. And that's another amazing part. Uh, At no point does Daniel say, I have the answer. (laughs) I can fix this. I am the one you're looking for. No, it was always us and we. It was God who gave it to us, but it was us who prayed for it. It wasn't, wasn't about Daniel. It was about those who, who went and prayed with him, and he made sure to include them in all that. Um, Daniel received the vision, but he was careful to thank the Lord on behalf of the men who prayed with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O, o thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might and has made known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. Daniel was careful to thank the Lord for revealing the vision to him, but it was a prayer, a prayer of himself and his three friends that that encouraged the Lord to respond. All right. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.